Welcome to Notes from the Electronic Cottage. I'm Jim Campbell. Well, though some folks thought it would never get here, it's clearly summer in Maine. The number of cars on the road tells us that there are visitors galore, and many of us are trying to take things a little more slowly, if we can. So, this is a good time to root around in the Electronic Cottage archives to dig up some programs that may be worth another listen for those of us here year-round, or that may be new to folks who've come to visit. In either case, we hope you enjoy, and find useful, this Notes from the Electronic Cottage Encore. Welcome to Notes from the Electronic Cottage. I'm Jim Campbell. It's time once again to catch up on a few items in the tech world that may have escaped our attention in our information-saturated world. So, here goes. One of the key issues in today's digital world is how can we be sure that someone is who he or she says they are? For establishing identity, we often use biometric markers like fingerprints or iris scans to allow entrance to a secure area, for example, or to enable a person to sign into a computer or a smartphone. And those things work well, except that the machines that read them can be fooled. In other words, impersonation is still possible. Fingerprints can be stolen from a glass that someone held and faked using something as simple as wood glue. This has already been done, by the way, with the Touch ID sign-in devices on certain smartphones. High-quality digital images of the eye can also fool iris scanners. And if either of those biometric characteristics is compromised, a person is in a world of hurt. If your password gets stolen, you can change it. If your fingerprint gets stolen, that's a whole other problem. But now researchers at Binghamton University and the Basque Center for Cognition think they've found a biometric that can't be duplicated, what they refer to as a brain print. In short, the researchers maintain that every person's brain waves are a bit different when reacting to certain stimuli and that those brainwave patterns are unduplicatable. At this point, the researchers have dealt with a relatively small number of sample people, about 30. But even so, the results have been impressive. First, the researchers put a cap on a person that's wired up to capture the signals that emanate from the section of the brain that responds to reading and recognizing words. Then, they flash images of about 500 words on a computer screen for half a second each and record the brain waves that result. Since people all have different associations with particular words or objects, the brainwave patterns over so many different stimuli result in a distinctive and unique set of patterns. And here's the big news. The researchers were able to identify people later on who viewed the same stimuli with a 100% accuracy, usually within two minutes. But don't go throwing away your Dick Tracy Jr. detective fingerprint kit just yet. This is still a lab project, and its eventual applications are still unclear. Having to put on a wired-up hat and the two minutes it currently takes to confirm an identity means that this technology won't be showing up on your smartphone anytime soon, 
if ever. Together with other brainwave reading technology that's been developing around the world over the past decade, though, this news may make a few folks nervous. We've always felt that what's in our minds is our own, and no one else can have access to it. Little by little, that confidence in the sanctity of our private thoughts is being called into question. Will that be good or bad? With reference to another item that also has potential for good or ill, we now have the first documented case of a child being kicked out of school because of his DNA. The headline that Wired used when reporting this story read, quote, DNA got a kid kicked out of school and it'll happen again, end quote. Not a very cheerful thought. Here's what happened. A young student named Coleman was born with a congenital heart problem, and as part of his care when he was a newborn, genetic tests on him were run. One showed that he had some genetic markers that are often associated with, though not determinative of, cystic fibrosis. Cystic fibrosis is a lung disease, and it's best to keep kids with the disease away from one another because of the danger of contagious infections. Coleman never developed cystic fibrosis, but his parents, when filling out his health information record for school, noted that he had those genetic markers. After a while, teachers found out about Coleman's genetic markers, and since there were already two other students with cystic fibrosis in the school, told Coleman's parents that perhaps he should go to a different school. The parents of those students demanded that Coleman be removed from the school. The school said, yes, he should transfer to another school. His parents sued. He was eventually allowed to return to school after missing several weeks. The family has since moved elsewhere, but the suit is still wending its way through the legal system. What's particularly concerning about this case is that it's based not on a manifest physical malady, but on a genetic marker that suggests that such a malady could develop, even though it hadn't at the time the events took place. These days, DNA testing is much less expensive than it used to be and happens in all sorts of situations. For example, DNA samples are often taken if a person gets arrested for almost anything, even if that person is never convicted of a crime. People now voluntarily submit their DNA samples to commercial DNA testing companies so that they can see what their DNA tells them about, for example, their ethnic heritage or their genetic proclivity for certain diseases. With so many more samples of DNA coming into existence and circulating, the possibility of discrimination in many areas of life, from getting insurance to getting a job, and perhaps even to being able to stay in school, is a rising possibility. Discrimination in the first two cases, insurance and employment, are prohibited under the 2008 Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act, or GINA. But those are the only two areas covered under the law. Being able to stay in school, or getting into a club, or obtaining housing, or many other facets of life are not covered under the law. The intersection of digital technology and advances in the life sciences is opening up a whole new world. Many hope it will not be a brave new world. We'll do our best to see how well that hope holds up 
as we move so quickly and often dramatically into the technological future, right here on future editions of Notes from the Electronic Cottage.